I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 69, we discuss the latest details about VAR debuting at the World Cup this summer. We feature an interview with Charlie Stilitano about the concept of a European Super League, news about La Liga TV launching in the United States, the launch of yet another new soccer streaming service, as well as our thoughts on NBC's coverage of Man City winning the title. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, and Peter Drury. Yes, the one and only commentator, Peter Drury, has uh, sent us in a letter uh, in response to last week's podcast, and that's in our mailbag section. That plus much, much more. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer. I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Both Kartik and I had a chance this week to go see the World Cup trophy. Uh, I've never seen it before, Kartik, uh, up close and in person. What were your thoughts about the actual trophy itself? Yeah, it, it was uh, quite a thrill to see it up close in person. And I think it's it's created a lot of buzz that we were there and we got to see it. And a lot of uh, my colleagues at, are envious slash jealous. Uh, but it, it was uh, it was quite an experience. And, and um, I think the, the thing that's uh, so interesting is that the trophy is, um, yeah, I go back and forth on this, but it is very small. And I think most people realize it's very small, but um, when we saw it, it was actually bigger than I thought it was based on what you see on television. Yeah, that's uh, so it's the first time I've seen it in person. Uh, and to me, it was uh, it was thick, a lot thicker than I thought it would be. It was um, I thought it'd be skinnier and, and taller is kind of in my mind. I mean, seen it, seen it on television, you know, thousands of times. But uh, actually, the, the thickness of, of the, uh, the actual trophy was impressive. But yeah, it was great to see uh, the World Cup trophy. And who knows who will be uh, getting their hands on that this summer. So, Kartik, before we go into what we've been watching this past week, um, what are your thoughts about the Premier League in, in general? I mean, to me, it was the, the most anticlimactic Premier League title winning day in years. Of course, uh, on, on Sunday with uh, West Brom uh, beating Man United and then handing the trophy to Man City. Uh, to me, it kind of summed up this season. It's been not the greatest by any means. Yeah, I think the two worst seasons in the 26 seasons now in the Premier League have been the last two. Um, and I think the standard of play has gone down. So, I mean, as much as we can throw superlatives, I know we're going to do this in a minute, so I won't, won't, won't share too much superlatives at Manchester City. I think that they 
have benefited from a weakened league and a league where uh, teams are either um, I, I don't even know how to describe this. I mean, I think tactically teams are in transition. I think the league's identity is kind of um, a, a mixed a, a mixed bag now. And you could say, well, the league is more involved than other leagues in Europe. That's certainly true. But I also think that there is a um, um, that's to the detriment of like of continuity and, and, and style of play and, and um, level of play. So uh, I, I haven't been a fan of the Premier League this season. I don't think it's a very good league. I, we can get, get into Manchester City in a minute, but I, I'm not sure winning the Premier League means. I mean, it's it's, it's a title, it's a trophy, uh, but I, I don't think it means what it did when uh, United's treble side won a very competitive Premier League or, or, or the, the Premier League winners from 2005 to 2009, Manchester United winning three on the balance with Cristiano Ronaldo in ultra hyper competitive leagues at the top. Yeah, it's, it's not just England, though. I mean, I mean, City won the title 16 points ahead of uh, second place United. Uh, Germany, where Bayern Munich have already won the title and are 20 points ahead of second place team. France, where PSG won 7-1 against Monaco at the weekend yeah, to yeah. lift the title. I watched uh, maybe the last like 10 and Monaco is in second, there. keep in mind. So that yeah. tells you the gap there. So it's been a very underwhelming season in general. It just seems that the, the focus has this season more than others really shifted the chat to the Champions League and it we're starting to see kind of a, a split now whether this is a temporary split or between kind of the first and second or if it's a long-term split um, and to me it kind of points towards a European Super League or at least the possibility of taking these heavyweights and having more of a league format uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. That's one of the questions I asked uh, Charlie Stolitano about ICC, International Champions Cup, and whether that's almost a replacement for that, the idea of a European Super League. But we'll get into that in a little while. But, uh, but Kartik, so what have you been watching uh, this past week? Yeah, so obviously started the weekend with that Southampton-Chelsea game, as so many did, uh, else did, and, and thought, okay, Sparky has finally had an impact on Southampton. They're winning 2-0, although in very Sparky-esque style. I can tell you this from... Uh, his time managing Manchester City, and when I watched every one of his games, and the QPR uh, Fulham was a little, little more solid. But then Stoke, where two 0 leads—I mean, the old adage is two 0 is the most dangerous scoreline in football. Well, it's even more dangerous if Mark Hughes is your manager, and uh, it, it just inexplicable. Um, Olivier Giroud comes on. You know, you know his proficiency in in, in the area on set pieces or on crosses, not marking him or giving him the kind of space is, is inexcusable. He, 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 he knocks in two goals, Chelsea wins. Um, it was a good start to the weekend for NBC, NBC doing this, um, um, how, how would I describe it? They switched their commentary, their commentary teams this yeah. weekend. Pundits exchange. Uh, right. In exchange, right. That would be it. So that, 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 that's how I started the weekend. Then watch Swansea Everton, um, that was um, a frustrating match. I bet it was even more frustrating for you because I, I don't think Everton were even playing football in that match with, uh, with the exception of brief um, spells. And, and poor Kyle Naughton just got caught in the wrong place, put in an own goal. Just one of the fluke, flukiest own goals you'll ever see. Uh, and uh, Swansea had to, had to rescue a point. Uh, they should have had three points from that match. It could be two points. Uh, and Chris, you, you, this is very uh, near and dear to your heart. It could be two points that cost them that they didn't get that they should have from that match? Uh, it could be. It's uh, To me, at the end of the day, I'm happy with the points because actually towards the end of the match, it looked like Everton could have uh, got a, uh, a winner in this one. It that was, was the first time Everton looked good in the game. Yeah. Actually. So at the end, I was really nervous. But um, yeah, definitely two points dropped. But uh, I mean, they created more of the chances. 
Um, I'm okay. I, I think in terms of the way that they're playing, the confidence is is good. They just need to keep on getting these points, even if it's a point here, a point there. Uh, it adds up, and uh, hopefully that's enough to cause a bit of a small uh, gap between Southampton and Stoke, and then Swansea above them. But uh, yeah, lots lots of games right. to be played though still. And I can say that the, the thought that Southampton or Stoke is going to get going are based on their their pedigree from previous seasons. Obviously, Southampton has finished in the top half of the table the last five seasons, I think, prior to this, and um, and uh, Stoke has uh, would had finished uh, no lower than ninth until last season in a while. Uh, but both those uh, clubs have just had horrid years. There's nothing in how either of those teams are playing right. or performing that leads you to believe that they would get the points to catch Swansea. So yes. yeah, you're right. It might be it might be enough that point. But it's just we keep thinking. Well, it's Stoke. It's Southampton. It's not your traditional um, yo-yo team. So they're going to get going at some point. But maybe yeah. they're not. Yeah, both, both both Stoke and Southampton remind me of uh, West Ham United and uh, Avram Grant, where they had a season that was they actually were playing good football, but they yeah. would just they would go two nil ahead, and just like Southampton or just like Stoke would end up losing three two, and it was just a frustrating season for for Hammers, I'm sure for Iron fans, um, and it's the same thing with Southampton and Stoke. Um, they, I, I'm not going to count them out yet because they, they're still have some good players on that team that are, are, uh, are fighters, but whether or not they show up, we'll have to wait and see. Well, Robbie Buster said it the other day on NBC. Uh, I lost track of the days this week. They played Monday or Tuesday or well, one of those days on goal zone. It must have been Tuesday because Monday was still Lee Dixon and, and, um, and Graham. So what Musto said is it's hard to see Stoke playing any better than they've been playing. And they're not getting, they're getting draws. Or loss or losing matches, it's hard to see them actually playing any better than they have. So yeah. they're probably done. Um, that's the that, yeah, that's the challenge because I mean, I mean, those players keep on playing at a level. They're, they're fighting, they're trying, yeah, yeah. and they keep getting like sucker punches. And and I think sometimes professional athletes can only go at that level, kind of playing at the high level even going for it and then go like, you know, this is ridiculous because every time we do that, we, we end up losing these matches. But it's, a lot of it's individual errors, though, whether it's Charlie Adam getting a red card or it's just, yeah. uh, you know, it's just uh, s- simple mistakes. And uh, and that's when the pressure's on. And that's that's when that's what causes teams really in many ways to, to go down. It, to me, it's a it's actually this could be a really interesting relegation battle. We talked about before about the Premier League. Uh, the title race has been well and truly over for a long, long time. But this relegation battle could easily go into the final day. Uh, you've got Stoke City's playing Swansea on the last day of the season. And, uh, I mean, uh, of course, other matches too. But this could easily go into the final day. The other thing is Huddersfield. Huddersfield has the, the toughest record uh, from now to the end of the season. I think they're playing, I think, Chelsea, Man City, I think Arsenal. I mean, all of their games on paper look like they're, uh, they've got no chance of getting any points. Um, this, this could be a really interesting relegation battle. Hopefully, th- th- there'll be some excitement there on that level, at least. Yeah, that's why Huddersfield, same time as the Swansea match, getting a, a late winner was just absolutely critical uh, from Tom Mintz. Uh Moving on, Liverpool and Bournemouth watched that match. That was uh, Derek Ray and Kyle Martino. That was, uh, that was an interesting uh, broadcast and, and two really great talents, two of our favorites on the show working together. Uh, and it was crisp. They had chemistry right off the bat. I mean, I'm sure they've done some trial runs, but that was, uh, that was very good. And then Spurs and... Um, and, and, and Man City, uh, obviously, uh, was a, a decisive uh, victory for, for Manchester City, surprisingly, at Wembley. 
very comprehensive performance. We did not know it was going to be a title-winning match, so we'll, we'll obviously get to that in a minute. Uh, next day, I watched uh, uh, United and, and West Brom from about the 30, 30th minute on. Um, did not uh, have the level of expectation that, that West Brom would win, but I have to point out that they've won three of their last five trips to Old Trafford and have done well at the Hawthorns also against United. So they're a bit of a bogey team. Uh, particularly for Moyes and Von Hall, but now also for Mourinho. Uh, still, it was a result that no one saw um, and um, coming, and, and, and uh, Manchester City wins the title. Because of that, we'll get to the goal zone, uh, breakdown of, of goal zone and NBC's coverage in a minute. Uh, Milan-Napoli was a huge match. Really felt like Napoli needed three points, and by not getting three points in this match, by drawing this match, they were out of the title race. Well, lo and behold, on Wednesday, Cartone, gets a draw, you know, fighting relegation. They're in the relegation spot right now. They're an 18th in, in Serie A. Gets a point against Juventus. Uh, Napoli comes from behind to beat Udinese 4-2. And now game on. The big, the biggest match in Europe, maybe the biggest uh, league match in Europe all season in, in the top league, the Juve and Napoli this weekend, this Sunday, uh, from Turin. So that's uh, it's only a four-point gap in Italy. But I think there's still just this kind of feeling, okay, Juve is going to – they're going to play out a draw in this game on Sunday and be okay. Uh, I do have to point out, though, they, they, they still play Inter and they still play either Lazio or Roma after that, uh, Juventus, whereas Napoli is kind of clear in terms of their fixtures. So, um, and, yeah, and now it's only yeah, a four-point gap. I was going to say, that, let's hope that this uh, Juventus-Napoli game on Sunday lives up to the promises. I mean, we've had so many, well, not so many, but we have had some, Serie A matches, some big matches, some like really, really ones that are going to kind of dictate the um, the top of the table, and they end up being nil-nil ties. Nothing wrong with that, but sometimes it's just the. I mean, it's hard to break through some of those um, yeah. defenses. Yeah. Um, so, so let's hope that Sunday's. Going and to we be know a, this is a contrast in styles, right? Juve is probably going to defend the Napoli likes to keep the ball. They're, they're one of the more entertaining sides in Europe, if not the most entertaining side. So. Uh, there's no incentive for Allegri to open up in this match, so it could be a nil-nil. It very realistically could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, to, to, and look, a point is fine for Juve, right? It's, like I said, it's a four-point gap. It's Napoli that has the impetus to attack in these three points. So watch that. And then Monday, uh, speaking of rele- uh, relegation fights, Mainz and Freiburg, I was pretty excited about this match. Uh, thought, okay, so Freiburg is in, in, in 15th and, and Mainz is in 16th. So this is direct competition for the spot in the relegation playoff that um, Germany has. And uh, uh, it's a big game. Uh, Mainz is going to have to win this if Freiburg gets a draw. Um, given the, the the remaining fixture list, they, they're probably okay. And what's a good first half. And, and, and I, I mean... I think everybody knows where I'm going. <laughs> well, well, actually, you no, know, I don't think everyone does, though. So, 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 I mean, big relegation battle in in the Bundesliga. Of course, we we've talked about this endless, endlessly this season with uh, the Bundesliga having VAR in place and seemingly being one of the better VARs. Not not perfect by any means, but what happens at, uh, right before halftime, uh, Kartik? Well, so. Um there's a, I guess what you would say, a missed penalty call where um, Mines uh, felt that they should be awarded a penalty. The, 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 the referee blows for halftime. The teams go into the dressing room, and lo and behold, far after seven minutes, it seems, right? Five, five minutes, seven minutes, something like that? Um, well, it, was, it didn't take that long. To, 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 it took that long because you had to call the teams back out from the dressing room and have a penalty taken. Um, awarded Mines a penalty. 
They converted. Uh, they they go up one 0 They score a second goal lead in the second half, but um, it completely altered because I, I just when you're a professional athlete, I, I don't know how uh, mentally you come out of the dressing room and have a penalty. Right, because you switch off. You switch off. You think, okay, you're right. We got to half time. Okay, let's take a breather. You mean let's get hydrated. Let's let's listen to the coach. And all of a sudden, referees come knocking on the door, saying, uh, "Sorry, but we have to uh, go back out." Uh, Vars has uh, noticed that should be a penalty. So get get ready. Yeah, it was just I I don't I, I there are there are reasons for VAR, and we. Those lesions have been outlined and articulated uh, over and over again. And I think one of the things that it's done in MLS and, and is that uh, I think there's been an out, outlandish amount of referee abuse in Major League Soccer or in American Soccer in general, lower divisions too, from fans, uh, from players, from even the leagues themselves. And, you know, there are clubs that uh, club officials, club social media accounts, uh, club PR departments uh, accosting referees, publishing names of referees, uh, personal information that happened with Orlando City last year. So VAR takes a little bit of the pressure off those referees. And I think that that is a good thing because referee abuse, and we saw it again in the Juve uh, Real Madrid uh, with Michael Oliver in, in the Champions League. Referee abuse, I think, is one of the biggest problems in, in world football. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes to blame the official and scapegoat the official. You're just not going to you're not going to get talented officials to either um, referee matches to go into this profession or uh, make those tough, tough calls for fear of of, of, of uh, the, the 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 retribution and ramification. So I think VAR is a good tool in that it takes some of the pressure off of the center refs. But right now it is clear to me. I don't think there's and, and unfortunately FIFA is going forward with it for this summer for the World Cup. It is clear to me that it is in untested kind of experimental mode, and it it, it hasn't been. It's not ready for prime time, which might explain why the Premier League has rejected it for another year. Yeah. Wisely, in my mind. I think um, so, too. Yeah. So, so, so what happened in context? So the, the penalty was converted? It was converted by mine. So they, they go up 1-0. They go back into the dressing room uh, and then come back out up 1-0. And Freiburg looked shell-shocked. Completely shell-shocked for the next 15 minutes. So what's, Then started to play. So what's the impact of, of this decision? What, what could uh, the impact be on this season for these well, two Well, they're both, they're both uh, now tied with uh, 30 points, and Mainz is ahead on goal difference. So they're out of the relegation playoff spot, and Freiburg has slipped into it by virtue of this result. Now, granted, the call was the correct call, but it's still, you know, yeah. we're, we're so used to human error and um, – not not looking at a, 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 a contested a, a possible penalty call 15 times before yeah. making a determination. Because I think if you look at, at a replay of a potential foul long enough, you convince yourself it's a foul. So, Kantik, imagine, imagine this is the World Cup final and it's uh, Germany against Brazil in the final. And right at the almost right before the final whistle, Brazil gets an incident where it should have been a penalty. The referee rules it's not a penalty. Uh, he blows the final whistle and uh, and Germany celebrates. They've won the World Cup and yet again. This is a, a huge accomplishment. Fans go crazy around the world. Players are celebrating. Coaches celebrating. Brazilians are crying. And then, you know I mean, as they're getting up to the kind of getting ready for the trophy celebration, going up the steps, uh, the VAR says, well, actually, that penalty inc- incident at the end of the game, we've we've reviewed it again and we believe um, that should have been a penalty. And blows his whistle. Okay, players need to come back out onto the pitch. I mean, that would be 
the most insane, most embarrassing, most you mean pathetic moment uh, in this sport. And 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 again, we'll, we'll get into VAR for the World Cup a little bit later. Uh, but just just VAR in general. Um, uh, you're right, Kartik. It, it's not a finished article. It's still in experimental mode. Uh, I'm happy, actually, that the Premier League has decided not to go f- through with it for next season. Uh, I think a lot of that's based on the FA and how the FA screwed it up uh, even worse. Probably probably the worst examples of, of VAR were from the FA. So it's kind of unfair in, in, in that regard. But there's been problems in the Bundesliga. There's been, been problems in Major League Soccer. Uh, yeah, what a mess. This... this uh, Hopefully, FIFA has their act together because uh, this could be a, a huge embarrassment for the sport worldwide. Yeah, and obviously what you outlined is a doomsday scenario, Chris, but uh, there might be some, I, there's going to be some controversy at the World Cup with VAR. And I even have uh, now American sports fans uh, who are used to replaying their sports saying, uh, I, I'm not sure about it in, in, in soccer because it's, it's, it's just, it's it, it, fundamentally a different type of sport where you play without those sorts of stoppages. So um, it's mentally, you're, as a footballer, you're trained. Look, if you've grown up with the possibility of all these stoppages as a player, think about it just from a player's perspective. Um, it might be different, but um, what we're finding now is that players are switching off. Mentally, it's having an impact. It's it's uh, muting goal celebrations even mm-hmm. uh, in, in Bundesliga, I've noticed this season. Uh, where <laughs> someone will score a goal and then they'll look over to see if it was a goal. Yeah. Um, so it's just, uh, it's an unfinished article. And yes, technology is a good thing. And uh, getting calls correct is, is the prefer, we would prefer that to, to getting them incorrect, obviously. But right. the, the, it, this isn't uh, cut and dry. This is not black and white. For some people, they act like it's a black and white issue. Well, you want the call to be correct, don't you? Uh, well, uh, you want sporting merit to triumph. That's not always the. Um, the the, the, the the necessarily the best outcome in, in these sorts of situations because there is a certain um, feel and flow to to a match that gets interrupted. And, you know, as a colleague of mine asked me the other day, uh, now what are we going to do with some of these VAR incidents if they change things two minutes later? Are we going to go back and nullify everything that happened after the, the VAR incident if – um, this happens this summer, let's say in the World Cup, and during the flow of a match, and it's two or three minutes, and the bar official comes back. Mm-hmm. I don't think the guidelines um, have been set strongly enough. And I, I would once again say, I've said this many times on the show, MLS. There's a lot we criticize MLS a lot, right? There, one thing MLS has gotten right is on bar. They haven't allowed it, with one or two exceptions since implementing it, to 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 rip out the fabric of the matches. Um, it's been kind of a, a very quick bang bang thing. Now. You could also criticize MLS saying, well, they're not reversing as many calls. There's still a lot of bad calls that are standing, whereas in the Bundesliga, everything's being reversed. Um, that's true, but it's not in MLS, it's not affecting the enjoyment of a particular yeah. match the way it is in Germany. Uh, or in, 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 from what I understand at times in Italy and in, 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 in the Dutch League as well. Yeah, it, it, it's a sport. Uh, there's tons of emotions involved. It's, this is not uh, Judge Judy where we have to kind of look at the evidence and, and have people, uh, forensics and investigating, okay, well, this was you mean, off by a millimeter. And, and you mean, it just it would ruin the sport in many ways. Um, somebody on Twitter, one of our followers, I, I can't remember who it was, but mentioned that with cricket, there's like a 15-second rule. So after an incident happens, there's 15 seconds to go ahead and actually flag it if, if VAR sees something uh, controversial that they need to go back to. 
Um, and I think that's a good rule too, because oh, maybe it's fifteen, maybe not fifteen seconds, maybe it's thirty seconds, but it's something where there's a, there's a time limit there, because otherwise, you know, I mean, well, it, like I said, it, two or three minutes a- afterwards, uh, do they have to go back because they just noticed something? Yeah, it happens quickly in cricket, but in cricket, they're also no more normally these when they go to the video and they have they have the same motion. Quick cricket umpires as a uh, uh, soccer referees with the with the show, the video screen. Yeah. Um, there is uh, a test of like three things that they that they knock off really quickly. I'm, I'm blanking out on my quick cricket terminology, but it's it's done more efficiently in cricket. They don't have those protocols in football yet, football soccer mm-hmm. yet that they do in cricket. So that's a very good point, a good point by by that listener. Yeah, so so let's let's jump back into the Premier League and some of the other things we've been watching this past week. So um, I watched the Newcastle <clears throat> Arsenal game on Sunday morning. This is really a joy to watch. This is a really as a neutral, a really entertaining game. Newcastle were up for it. Uh, Arsenal is in spells. We're playing some great football, and uh, John Joe Shelby was on fire. I mean, just like long range passes, you know, like forty yard passes, uh, just pinpoint not not even just uh him but i always see perez having a great game too and what an incredible achievement by rafa benitez this season they're in the top 10 yeah uh, looked like they were going to go down and with limited resources uh, and actually it was perfect timing too because you had lee dixon there in the studio to give his analysis of uh, <laughs> arsenal's defensive mistakes yeah. so that was perfect i mean just to have him you could tell that i mean emotionally he's upset but uh he was able to kind of just share some of his insight about just just kind of juvenile, like high school uh, soccer type of mistakes in the defense there for Arsenal. Now, it's interesting, Kartik, because when I watched this weekend, I, I missed most of Saturday's games. Again, my kids had soccer games, so I was on the run. Uh, but Sunday, I had more time to watch um, most of the games. But it was interesting, too, because... Um, I don't know if it was the, the time difference. I mean, with the games starting a lot earlier in the day in, in the U.S. than what, uh, say, uh, Lee Dixon or Graham Lasoa used to, rather than, say, later afternoon or, or evening kickoffs. Um, but they seemed a little bit kind of uh, jet-lagged, but also a little bit tired. Um, I mean, their, their analysis was good. Uh, it just didn't seem to be as spot-on as, say, Carl Martino or the two Robbies. And again, that could be also just not being used to being in that environment at NBC, while wow, those guys have been doing it for a few years. So that I thought was interesting. Graham Lasso and Lee Dixon were great, though. And it just shows what the level of commitment that NBC Sports has. I mean, in terms of sending all of their crew to the UK and sending the UK crew to the US and doing it in a weekend. Um, I mean, some, some great games, too. But, uh, I mean, again, you look at other networks. No one else is doing this. And that level of commitment and, and I mean, really kind of cost the, the amount of money they're spending to do this. Uh, was a great example of just how they're always trying to mix things up this this season more than others. I think they're they're trying different things, and uh, it's still it's still entertaining. Uh, even more so, Kartik actually, and this is a good example. So after the Newcastle Arsenal game, I was like, you know, what? I'm thinking about switching over to watch. Um, I think the Schalke game, the Schalke Dortmund game. And I was like, oh, I should mention I watched that game. I was switching back and forth. That's what I knew. I'd forgotten the game from uh, Sunday. I watched that and and. Uh, just real quickly, Dortmund is, is is a mess right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have been for a while this season. It's been a really bad season for them. Right. But so I was watching the Newcastle Arsenal. Although significantly, I think this is going to be the first time Schalke's finished ahead of them in the league in about a decade, or since 2009-2010 season when Manuel Neuer was Schalke's goalkeeper. That we know what a big derby that is. Mm-hmm. So um, 
this is a bad time for Dortmund, but, but continue. Sorry. Yeah, so I was, I was watching the Newcastle-Arsenal post-match, and I was like, you know what, I, I want to watch the Schalke-Dortmund game because I'm sure that's going to be a good one. But the, the analysis that, Falk, um, that NBC gave was so good that I stayed with that broadcast. I was like, you know what, I'll watch the post-match analysis. And then it went into the pre-match analysis for Man United against West Brom. And you had Carl Martino, you had, the, you mean, the, again, the two Robbies at Old Trafford, at the stadium, giving kind of pitch-side interviews and Robbie Earl up in the commentary, Gantry there. Uh, and it had me hooked. I was like, I'm, I'm, I can't change the channel. I got to watch this and then watch the Man United West Brom game. And to me, that's a perfect example of um, the investment that they're making, the commitment, and how it really kind of deters people from watching other uh, other broadcasts or other leagues um, when you've got some such great analysis. And you can't say that for any, I don't think any other really broadcasters, whether it's ESPN or BN Sports or Fox or others. Um, once, for the most part, once the game's over, I'm I'm gone. I'm not going to hang around, especially for half an hour when I could be watching an, another great game. Yeah, uh, certainly. And I think uh, having Lee Dixon in the studio for Man City's uh, league triumph is was was significant because obviously he grew up a Manchester City fan. Uh, so having him for Arsenal's defensive mistakes on. Uh, uh, on Sunday morning against uh, Newcastle, and then having them for, for City's triumph, even though they didn't play that day, uh, the, the, them claiming the title was was actually maybe a, uh, you could call it a stroke of genius by NBC, maybe just some very good luck for Tourist's luck that it was this weekend they brought them over. Yep. So the second half of Man United against West Brom, I missed. I was traveling, um, so I didn't get to see the, um, the, tro- the, the celebrations, I mean, all the kind of the announcement that Man City's won the title. So, Kartik, uh, what, what are your thoughts in terms of um, how the coverage was and, and the goal zone and, and um, whether they did a good job or bad job? I thought they did a very good job. The only issue is that it's almost as if they stopped talking about the game that they had just, you know, the, the, the West Brom-Manchester United game. They just spent a few few minutes on that and then talked about Manchester City's season. I think, um, and this is where NBC maybe doesn't give the perspective, but then again, um, they, they, they are the broadcaster of the Premier League and they don't broadcast other leagues. Uh, that I think Manchester City's triumph is also an in the, the how at ease they triumph is that um, is, a, is a strong indictment of the Premier League, especially when they're, I mean, we're now seven years into Manchester City in, in Europe, right? In, in the Champions League, and they've never looked the part in Europe, even when they've advanced, even when they've gotten made a deep, deep run, like under uh, Pellegrini a few years ago to the semifinals. This season, consistently, Manchester City would play on a Saturday, uh, rip a team to pieces in the Premier League, then go into Europe and struggle, even when they were winning, even against the PSVs and the Shakhtars. It it would be a much more labored performance, much more difficult to break that opposition down, much more difficult to really kind of get going in those matches, leaving a lot of those matches late. And then – We've obviously seen the, the crash out in the, in the knockout stages. Basel, second leg, they got beat, but they won on aggregate. And then uh, uh, the two two legs against Liverpool. So um, I think it is a bit of an indictment of the Premier League, the ease with which they won the title. And um, that wasn't really discussed. But what was discussed, and, and I think they continued to discuss it through the course of the week when Robbie Musto and uh, Robbie Earl came back into the studio midweek for those, those matches, was um, – the impact Pep Guardiola has made on tactics in England and how the other managers are reacting to him and how, and this was, and actually this goes back to Lasso and Dixon on Sunday, how, um, because Rebecca Lowe said, well, he did it his way, his style. And Lee Dixon said, well, but 
actually tactically from match to match, Manchester City looks very different. He makes changes in the squads. They play with a different uh, uh, formation often where the team sheet will look the same, right? It'll look like they're lining up in a 4-3-3 or whatever. But that, um, as Dixon and Lasso pointed out, you, you'll see Fabian Delph in a different position, moving into a different position, Kyle Walker moving into a different position based on opposition, which has then led other Premier League managers to have to respond and react to that. Um, and then I think also the, the other takeaway from NBC is with, with Guardiola, Klopp, and Pochettino. That's three of your top four right now in England. You've gotten three managers really committed to high-intensity pressing, and now Pochettino is also kind of transitioning spurs towards trying to keep the ball more, more possession. So um, the the entire style of at least the top of the league is evolving. So I thought that was all very poignant and good analysis from NBC's uh, commentator or co-commentators. Yeah, it's just a shame that uh, in terms of the way that City won the title, it was just really kind of just so so anticlimactic, really, so underwhelming. Yeah. Just uh, I mean, that's that's not a way you want to see a team win a title, um, even though they thoroughly deserve it. I mean, it, it, that's um, and actually, even for me too, West Bromwich Albion. Yes, they're bottom of the league, but I, I don't think they're th- that bad of a team. I mean, the the, the way that they they've set up, um, especially uh, with the new coach kind of in charge temporarily. Um, I think I mean Darren Moore. I think it is 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 they're actually set up really well. They're the tough to beat, and even last week's game against Swansea, um, I mean Swansea had a tough time against well, against. They them. made a decision. Their board made a decision in the middle of the season that they were going to sack Tony Pulis. Okay, that's understandable given how things had started when they shot off when they got to forty points last season, uh, but replace him with a manager who's. Uh, style and philosophy was diametrically opposite. And so you bring Pardew in, who has a style associated with him. I know a lot of people deride Alan Pardew, but he actually is kind of an attacking, one of the more attacking British managers. Uh, plays very open. That's why uh, his teams have tended to be excited, even exciting even when they're not uh, terribly good, like the Crystal Palace teams. Um, but so West Brom is then trying to attack with players signed by Pulis over the course of five or six transfer windows. It just was never going to yeah. work. So I, I, I don't know why the decision was made to bring in Parvu specifically at that point, unless you were going to give him uh, fifty million to spend in the January window and buy his type of players, right? right? Uh, but, but that's the thing about West Brom and Stoke. I think both of the sets of supporters for those teams would say, okay, well, in the past we've had you know, kind of tactics that weren't the most impressive. It was just more of a uh, defensive mindset for both of those teams. But both the baggies. Um, and the Potters have wanted to play more of an open, expansive, exciting brand of football, uh, which we're now getting, uh, and, and they've, they've had from buying some uh, some exciting players, but it's coming back to haunt them. So I, I wonder for Baggies and, and Potters supporters, what do they want? Do they want well, something? Well, Southampton, because they, they, their complaints about Puel were stylistic. They had nothing to do with the results. They finished eighth. Yep. They got to the League Cup final. They should have won that League Cup final. It was Zlatan's brilliance that denied them that trophy. Right. But they waited a month to sack him in the summer. But the, the consideration, based on what Southampton has put out publicly, was entirely about style. Yep. Well, you know, look, at, look at where they are now. Speaking of style, Kartik, I, on Sunday I watched uh, Atlanta United against NYCFC on FS1. This was one of the most exciting MLS matches I've watched in probably a few years. It was really, really good. Um, the interesting thing about this one, or actually a few interesting things about this one, is one is that the um, the sound, the crowd noise on FS1 was better than the ESPN broadcast 
when I watched it, I think, what, the week before when they had Atlanta United on. So I'm not sure what Fox is doing with the sound, with the, the, the crowd noise. But it was a lot. More, it was a lot more entertaining, and it felt more natural than kind of the tinny, kind of uh, indoor kind of sound that ESPN had. So that that makes a big difference. The other thing, though, too, is just like you I mean, it had John Strong paired with uh, Alexi Lalas, and Lalas is okay. But to me, the person that they're missing is Eric Winalda. And if anyone's following Eric Winalda, especially on Sunday. He had some really great tweets throughout the game, kind of just some tactical analysis he was sharing and, and, and uh, kind of pinpointing some of the mistakes that uh, uh, Tata Martino uh, made for Atlanta United, and uh, which cost him the, the three points. They could have gotten on to win this game comfortably, but uh, NYC FC came back and, and got the tie. So that, I mean, to me, have Winald in that, in that position as a co-commentator in providing that, that tactical analysis is going to elevate your coverage versus Lalas, who's who's good, entertaining, but not as good as Winaldo when it comes to kind of that, that uh, X's and O's, which, which I really enjoy. And then uh, Kartik on Monday, I think it was the West Ham-Stoke game, and uh, God bless Andy Carroll, because <laughs> that was like about <laughs> two minutes away from Stoke City winning that match, and uh, that would have been, made some even nervier times for Swansea City supporters, but Andy Carroll gets a, a late equaliser in that one, and, and Stoke's... Uh, Hearts and, and hopes are, are crushed again. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Uh, lots of news this week. So let's kick off with uh, ICC. Yeah, so uh, we have the details about the, the 2018 edition of the International Champions Cup, which uh, will have featured matches on three continents, uh, Asia, North America, and uh, Europe. Uh, ma- ma- several matches in Singapore, uh, several matches in New York, Miami, Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, and uh, uh, culminating with Atleti playing at their own stadium, at the Wadah Stadium, uh, against uh, Inter in, in August. We're also going to have a women's tournament this year, uh, which is going to feature um, Manchester City, the North Carolina Courage, Chelsea, and PSG. Uh, so that that was um, it was an interesting announcement on on Tuesday because what I think we came to realize, Chris, you and I were, were both there, was that uh, this this uh, competition, if you want to call it that, this event. Uh, but there's still some dispute, discussion, whether are these friendly or is this an actual legitimate cup competition? Uh, it depends who you ask, what, what the answer is. But this is now gaining significant, has gained significant traction with the top European clubs that they all want to be here. They all want to be part of this in order to either market themselves in the United States or in uh, Asia or just get really high-level preseason matches before they start their league campaigns and European campaigns in August. So uh, even in a World Cup year, uh, they're able to get 18 of the biggest biggest name clubs uh, on the men's side and four four on the women's side. It's not a World Cup year on the women's side, but uh, it, it's just it's growing every year. And 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 I have to say, as someone who a few years ago was skeptical about whether this was sustainable, whether this thing was actually being taken seriously. It's really become um, a massive event, not only uh, in the United States, but I think I just perusing the global media, uh, as I often do and in, 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 uh, write for British publications. Uh, it's a big event everywhere. Everybody is covering it and taking it quite seriously. Yeah, the, the, the takeaways for me were, uh, so 18 of the, the biggest teams from around the world, uh, obviously, most I think they're all European teams, um, but well, yeah, yeah. I had a scratch in my head, I was like going through this 18, I'm like, okay, who's missing? 
which big club is missing here from from that list? And there really isn't. That those are the eighteen biggest clubs in Europe um, playing around the world. The second takeaway is that um, each of these teams will be playing three games. And uh, the way they're setting it up this season is that it's going to be a league table. So each of those teams uh, plays three games. And at the end of the uh, August 15th or whenever it is, it ends. Uh, it goes from late July to mid-August. Um, they'll know what the league table is and they'll know who finishes first. And, you mean, of course, goal difference and looking at that. And then whoever wins that title, wins the International Champions Cup, will be awarded that trophy at their first home game of, of the season. So that I like in terms of the way it's set up. It's it's pretty straightforward. Uh, no complications there. Uh, in the past, they have had complications about the way it's been set up. That's interesting, having a global league, because some of these teams will be playing in Asia and not playing in, in North America. Uh, and then I guess another takeaway is the, the television coverage. So ESPN is back this season again with the ICC. Uh, you've got uh, a lot, most of the games are on ESPN or ESPN2. And there's uh, a couple that are on ESPN News and ESPN U, but for the most part, it's ESPN and ESPN Two. I mean, you've got some massive matches. You've got Man United against Liverpool uh, in uh, at, at Ann Arbor in Michigan. You've got uh, Bayern Munich against Manchester City. I mean, you go down the list. They have all of the four um, finalists in the semi-finals of the Champions League. Um, this is huge. Now, critics would say Kartik. Well, most of these players are going to be playing in the World Cup. And most of them won't be available to actually play in the tournament. But to me, I mean, my argument is, is that this is much bigger than just the stars. This is about the clubs. If you're a fan of Manchester United, you're going to watch Manchester United play. And maybe, I mean, maybe a couple of their players, a few of the star players won't be playing because they're being rested after the World Cup. But you're a supporter of the club and you're going to go out there and support the Red, De Red Devils or Manchester City or Bayern Munich or Dortmund or you go down the list, or whoever it is. Um, so so that that's, I think the clubs are much bigger than the players. And for a tournament yeah. like this, that, that's, uh, that fits in really well. I'm trying to think if there's any other takeaways I had from this. Yeah, I think the German clubs coming for a yeah. change is maybe a takeaway because uh, uh, generally because of when the, 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 the their cup competition begins, uh, they have ha not been able to come. Now, what I've noticed is uh, if you look at the, the, the schedule, the German clubs leave earlier. Um, right. And given the, the, the probability that Germany goes deep in the World Cup, maybe even wins the World Cup, you're probably not going to see a lot of the German national team players with, with uh, Dortmund or with uh, Bayern, but you will see some of their other stars. I mean, it depends how far Colombia gets or Poland gets, whether you see uh, Hamas and, uh, or, or Robert Lewandowski. And certainly for, for Dortmund, there's an assortment of players uh, that are not uh, – uh, the Polish, there were Polish players also, but uh, assortment of other players that might might be there. So, um, and I think you're right. In most cases, the clubs are bigger than um, than the than the the, the names, uh, the the individual player names. Now, the the one exception to that would be the number of people who want to see uh, Neymar with PSG. That would probably be the exception, and um, we'll, we'll we'll see uh, how that drives interest in potential PSG games. But other than that, uh, I think. Uh, you're right on that. Yeah, and of course you got Christian Pulisic. So I mean, the the Dortmund games by themselves will be uh, some big numbers in terms of the the number of tickets sold for those games. Just to see, just to see that one player. I mean, that's one example of, of how a player is uh, almost as big as as a club. But that's a little bit different with it with him being uh, from the United States. And then um, 
Dortmund. So after the press conference, we had uh, a chance to talk uh, to uh, Dortmund, uh, an executive and a former player there. Um, I'm not sure about you, Kartik, but some of the interesting points that they were they raised to me or th- that I took away from this was that um, they've been focusing on Asia a lot. So almost every summer they've, play- they've played in Asia. This is the first summer that they've actually come to the United States uh, since 1950-something when they came yeah. to Chicago. That was the only time they've ever come, come to the United States. So really, it's in, in the modern era, it's, this is the first time Dortmund's ever come. And what they've focused on is, is looking at Japan, looking at Asia, looking at uh, China, Singapore, and going there with a, 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 an open mind in regards to how to um, kind of connect with communities, with the soccer schools, with the, with the fans. Uh, and that was my takeaway is that they've learned a lot from those experiences and uh, I've taken those away and probably will use some of those or will test some of those in the United States. But I know that they're focusing big time on the U.S. They're coming here after the season. They're coming here for May 22nd to play LAFC. Uh, in a friendly, and then coming back then for the ICC uh, at the the end of July, which is which is a pretty big commitment. Yeah, I, I, and I think that they uh, they are behind in the U.S. market. Let's not kid ourselves, yeah. and, and they they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of ground to make up. But it seems like they have a plan to do that, to at least try to do yeah. that. Yeah, they're behind, but but in some ways, I mean, I mean, Arsenal again. It's another summer where they're not coming to the United States, and uh, we know that they have a. Uh, a huge profile in the U.S. and a huge fan base. Uh, Dortmund is certainly rising, um, so I think it's good timing for them. My guess is once Wenger is gone, you'll see that change. Yeah. <laughs> I think he likes yeah. to prep in Asia, so uh, well, he liked to prep in in Austria before. Yeah, he, right, wouldn't leave, yeah. he wouldn't leave Austria for the longest time, but oh well. All right, so move on, moving on, Kartik. Uh, next up is that uh, Mexican, uh, former Mexican goalkeeper Moises Munoz uh, has joined uh, uh, Munoz. Uh, pardon me, has joined Fox Sports uh, broadcast team for the World Cup. So he'll be providing uh, analysis uh, for Fox, mostly, I'm sure, about El Tri, about the Mexican national team. Now, if memory serves me right, I think uh, Moises Munoz. Uh, I think we had him on. I think it was on, on Fox, either for the CONCACAF, CONCACAF Cup, um, the end of that, I think post-match, or it yeah. was one of the... I mean, you might have actually come on for Fox around about that time, but his, his English is very good. Uh, he's a good speaker. He seems to be very intelligent. So I think it's a good ad uh, uh, for Fox, um, especially with their Mexican coverage. And we've seen that the numbers haven't been that strong, so maybe that can help give them a lift. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good ad from a commentary standpoint. I, I just, again, I, it, it kind of uh, tells you their priorities and, and they're trying to push uh, hard on uh, the Mexican angle. And I'm not sure that that's, uh, that's going to work. It's also probably going to turn off fans of other Latin American countries, if I'm well, being perfectly honest. With yeah, let, let me jump in there, too, because I, I saw an interview this morning uh, with Kathy Carter by Sports Business Journal. And they asked her about the World Cup this summer. So what are your thoughts about the World Cup? Like, with the U.S. not in it? Like, what do you think? Uh, is that going to hurt soccer? And she's, and she's like, no, no, it's going to hurt the fans, the U.S. fans, uh, obviously uh, upset that the, the, the team's not in it. In it. But uh, she said, I, I think most of those fans will, will go ahead and support Mexico and we'll, we'll, we'll cheer for them. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Which, which I don't know. Just, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's such a 
it's such a stretch. And I think a lot of that too, I mean, to me, it really, it comes back to the sum relationship because I mean, yeah, L3, yeah, Me- the Mexican national team and the US men's national team are so intertwined from a sum approach where sum is, is promoting and, and um, setting up these friendlies across the United States for Mexico. And, and of course the US friendlies too, and US games that they're so intertwined that they think that the, the, the fans, the spectators, the supporters, are going to just say, you know what, like the U.S. is not in it. I'm going to support Mexico this summer. What the heck? How does this reconcile within the past on Fox? Alexi Lawless saying Mexico-U.S. is the biggest rivalry in soccer, which is nonsense, right? It's not. I mean, Argentina, Brazil, uh, the Dutch and, and the Germans, uh, Italy, Spain. I mean, these are all bigger rivalries, right, with, with more more global importance in, in terms of and then if you're just talking about club level, you could go kind of just talk about Dortmund, Schalke, et cetera, those sorts of rivalries. But he said that. Now, Lawless at the same network is in a position where he's having to try and sell this, this myth that U.S. fans should root for Mexico or would naturally root for Mexico. The only reason that is is because of a business relationship dictated by Soccer United Marketing. I mean, it is the, the two federations, the two leagues, the two top leagues in, in, in each country are completely intertwined from a business standpoint. And that's now impacting um, strategic decisions about coverage of the sport. Yeah, that's something, you know, in the bigger picture, people should be concerned about, I, I think. I mean, that's my perspective, at least. Yeah, to me, it's uh, inauthentic. I mean, it, it's, oh, it's not authentic coverage. It's it's not authentic realis- realism of how the world plays. I mean, how the, how the U.S. is in terms of how they support their national team. They're not going to switch allegiances just because their team's not in it. Yes, they will probably look at the, the 32 teams, look for an underdog or look for a team that maybe they have other connections to. And for some Americans, it's going to be the Mexican national team because maybe they're bilinguals, maybe they're from a Mexican heritage, uh, maybe they have. Uh, I mean, I relatives. tell you, for many though I've talked to, it's Iceland or it's Portugal or it's England. Uh, those are right. probably uh, Germany. Those are the top four I've heard. Exactly. Um, it, it's not. Uh, it's not Mexico. Yeah. All right, Kartik. Let's move on to the next uh, section. Actually, next news item. Pardon me. Yeah. So Gold TV has launched a streaming, a new streaming platform in Canada called Gold TV Play, which includes the Portuguese Primera Liga uh, to can- Canadian residents. The service is uh, another OTT service is nine dollars and ninety cents uh, Canadian dollars per month. Uh, US dollars. T- oh, US dollars. Sorry. Um, Gold TV Play is a pay as you go service. So um, uh, it's you don't have to necessarily subscribe. Yeah, I asked I asked Gold TV on this one too in regards to a, a US launch and they said they have nothing to announce at this time. So I, I'm sure at some point Gold TV, probably if they acquire some other rights too, will probably try to put together a package and, and jump into the streaming space. I guess for Canadian residents, um, I guess it's up to you. I mean, if it's the Portuguese uh, league. If you like that, that's probably a, a, good, a good sell. Uh, if you're not into the Portuguese league, then it's probably you know, there's, there's nothing there uh, for you. But uh, I guess it uh, depends on each individual. Moving on. The other thing that we did this week, Kartik, in addition to the International Champions Cup uh, press conference, is we went to see, to visit uh, Telemundo Deportes' uh, new headquarters uh, in Doral, in Florida, uh, outside Miami. And uh, this was an incredible experience, just seeing this brand new building, uh, it's estimated to have cost about $200 million. But just the investment they've put into this, uh, not just even the investments, but just the, the planning 
um, the architecture, the way that this building is set up to really be a cutting edge uh, kind of state of the art studio um, and, and housing their offices too and having everything self-contained into one building. So you not only have not just uh, the sports departments, but you have the... Um, the drama, you have the the soap operas, you have the news departments, all into one building. And it's really a huge uh, statement of intent, really, I think, from Telemundo in regards to uh, where they're heading. And they've got the World Cup this summer, of course. Uh, they're, they're, they're moving. They're, they're, they're definitely making uh, huge waves um, in the United States. And it's going to be exciting, I think, for pe- people that work there. Uh, and uh, hopefully for us, I mean, stateside, we'll be able to actually see some some good coverage coming out of this uh, studio, not just in not not just in Florida too, but also in Russia too. Not only that, I think it just reinforces NBC Universal's commitment to growing Telemundo to being a legitimate uh, eyeball to eyeball rival, or however you want to describe uh, parody with Univision. I mean, for years, Telemundo has been kind of that Pepsi to Coke, right? They've been this weak number two, or you know, they're they're number two, but they're not they're not uh, at that at that level. We don't think of them. We don't say we don't talk about them in the same um, same breath. We talk about Univision. Uh, now that that gap is closing, and this this is a large part to do with NBC Universal. I think since the Comcast uh, takeover and the commitment they've shown to really build Telemundo uh, into uh, an increasingly aggressive and and um, prominent property among um, Hispanic dominant, even English language dominant Hispanics, again, among Hispanics, Latinos throughout the country. So mm-hmm. uh, really enjoyed the tour and, and uh, Tele- Telemundo is a uh, entity to keep an eye on. Yeah, the, the other thing too, we, we, we happened to be there when they were taking a staff photo um, of the sports department and uh, one of the people there told us that I think about 70% of those people are actually going to Russia. Uh, they're going to be. I mean, it's going to be a huge presence that Telemundo is going to have in Russia, and that was impressive too. Of course, a lot of people will be staying also in, in Miami to help out on on that side of things. But they're they're putting. I mean, tons of investment into making this one. Uh, it's this their first World Cup, so it's exciting. Yeah. The other thing too is just walking around the building, seeing so many people wearing uh, shirts. I mean, jerseys, whether it's Argentina, Spain, club jerseys. I mean, you name it. Um, that was great to see. Kind of a really good. Uh, they're excited. You can tell that they're huge soccer fans, and they're going to really, really embra- embrace this World Cup. It's better when soccer fans cover soccer than when uh, right. non-soccer fans do. Which uh, you know that was part of the culture at ESPN. Just as an aside, that, that John Skipper really tried to drive home to uh, his employees to get them, and this is why I think 2010 was so. 2010, 2014 were so different than 2006. Um, Skipper, I think, really kind of pushed the cultural side of, of, of the sport and getting people into understanding the sport and living it and breathing it before uh, they went to South Africa in 2010. And that's why their coverage, besides their commitment to different commentators, uh, different types of commentators in 2006, was so much better. Um, that's something I'm really looking forward to with Telemundo. All right, let's move on to the next uh, news item, Kartik. Sure. Uh, BN Sports has launched La Liga TV, a new channel on BN Sports Connect produced by La Liga. The full HD channel will include all La Liga games live. It will also feature the core programming of La Liga, an exclusive new studio show analyzing the action before and after each match, twice daily news bulletins throughout the week, and reruns of current the current season games. It sounds really good, really interesting, and uh, BN is, uh, has launched this. 
Yeah, I wish we had that for the Premier League uh, on NBC. Yeah. You know, we have NBC Sports Gold that has some coverage, but not nearly as, as much as that coverage. That's uh, definitely a, a huge slam dunk for La Liga fans. Uh, and uh, you can get BN Sports Connect through your cable provider or satellite provider, or if not through there, you can also get it, get it through um, Fubo TV or iGoal.tv. Last but not least on our news segment, Kartik, is FIFA has announced more details about their VAR for the World Cup this summer. They'll have four VAR officials in a studio in Moscow for every game and a pitch-side camera for the referee if he needs to take a closer look at, at an incident. Uh, one of the four VAR officials will communicate with the referee uh, throughout the game as the game is unfolding and will make him aware of any incidents that happen, such as offside uh, or anything he might have missed. Uh, replays will also be shown on giant screens inside the stadiums. And that is good, Kartik, because I think uh, in many ways that's the thing that, that the FA was missing, is that uh, the referees were making decisions uh, because of the aid of VAR through their headsets. You are hearing what, what uh, the VAR uh, officials were saying, but we had no idea what was going on. Neither did the commentators, so I think this will be a big, um, a big help as far as far as communicating exactly what's happening, so that the viewers are not lost. They know what's happening as well as the uh, the commentators. One more thing about this is that uh, Pierluigi Colina uh, is is heading up this campaign. So if you were to give it to anyone that could make this a success, uh, it's going to be a huge task. But uh, Colina is definitely the, the person to do it. So I'm a little bit hopeful that this can work, but um, I have my doubts, Kotick. Yeah, it's arguably the greatest referee of all time. So uh, that's the right guy, but it's still <laughs> it's a not a momentous task, to say the least. Right. All right, moving on to TV ratings. Um, and of course, we've got all of the numbers at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, so if you want to go uh, kind of take a deep dive into those, uh, we'll share some of the bigger numbers or some of the numbers that, that jump out at us uh, right now. Uh, 1.1 million people for Club America against Monterey, uh, another big number for uh, Liga Mekis. Uh, this was on Univision last Saturday. Uh, the Bournemouth-Liverpool game, Kartik, that you referenced uh, on NBC that had uh, 908,000 viewers. Uh, on Saturday, uh, Club America against Toronto in the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, more impressive numbers for that. That was uh, 886,000 uh, viewers there. Now, looking at some of these other games, Kartik, um, the one that jumps out to me is Atlanta United against NYCFC. It was a fantastic game to watch, really exciting, great football, great atm atmosphere, uh, pretty good broadcast, and uh, 197,000 viewers. This is on FS1 on a Sunday, Sunday evening during prime time, which you would expect those numbers to be much greater. Uh, as a comparison, you had Crystal Palace against Brighton, a relegation battle on Saturday on NBCSN, uh, Saturday morning, and that one had uh, 278,000 viewers. So it's, uh, what, like about, about close to 90,000 more viewers for a game, a relegation battle. Uh, which is more meaningful in some ways, but you would expect Atlanta United against NYCFC. I guess, I guess, Carter, it goes back to this age-old question, why the New York markets are suffering still so much? You would think, I mean, a huge metropolitan area, why aren't people tuning in to watch a game like this? And Atlanta United being one of the most attractive, exciting teams in the league, uh, why aren't people from across the United States watching this game? Context, uh, relevance... Uh, knowing when the match takes place, right? I mean, I, but you know, we can criticize that, but MLS did try and keep consistent broadcast windows the first few years of this television contract, or at least year one, 
definitively in 2015, but also I think a little bit in 2016, just didn't work. So uh, I don't know. There's just no no solution to it. And I know people are lauding the CONCACAF Champions League ratings, saying, oh, the, the tournament's doing great. Look at how many people are watching Toronto, how many people are watching Red Bull. No, they're watching it because of America and Chivas, okay? You, you could throw America and Chivas out against anyone in this country and get the kind of viewership they're getting. Now, Grant, I still think it's impressive on, because it's Univision Deportes on a weeknight. It's not on uh, big Univision, and it's not a weekend matches, but it is um, because of the, the, the competition. It's been great for CONCACAF to have America and Chivas in this tournament this year advancing deep instead of Monterrey, uh, Tigres, and Toluca because those those Mexican teams don't drive numbers in the U.S. the way uh, the big two do. But uh, it, as far as MLS is concerned, there's just no change, right? I mean, it's just not there's no improvement. All right, let's move on to the list of the mailbag. Uh, the first up is somebody by the name of Peter Drury, who's the uh, commentator for the Premier League. Uh, <laughs> and he emailed us. So he listened to last week's podcast, and we talked about the, the Barca-Roma game that was on Facebook Live, and uh, we had the commentary from Fox. So we missed out on the Peter Drury commentating this match, um, one of the best uh, probably calls uh, all season long, and uh, we were able to kind of grab that audio and play it. So if you missed it, Listen to last week's podcast because it is an incredible uh, call for that game. So Peter Drury says, uh, thanks for your kind, very kind comments. I completely understand that my style lends itself to the suspicion that it may be pre-scripted. However, please feel free to tell your listeners and readers that perhaps unprofessionally, I hadn't even considered the possibility of Roma winning the tie, and I certainly hadn't prepared any words. Clearly, as you rightly pointed out, it is ridiculous to think that I could have prepared specific words for a Greek scorer. I would never eat or sleep if I took account of every remote possibility like that. This is not being overly sensitive to criticism. Every com commentator has to accept that he won't please every viewer. If some people don't like my style, I can live with that. But I'm, I'm afraid I have to confess to a lack of premeditation in Rome la uh, this past week. Uh, spontaneity still exists. And, and, and that sums it up perfectly too, because yeah. that's always been the suspicion with Peter. Just And it's his style. And, and that's something that... Uh, just in the last week or two, I, I've, I've learned that that's his style. It's not that it's pre-written. Um, and, and, and it works. It, some people love Peter. Some people don't like Peter. But, but uh, it's definitely great to get, have, have his feedback. One more thing, Kartik, on this too, is that uh, he also mentioned, um, I, w I won't read it word for word, but he mentioned how much of a difference it, it makes having the announcer in the stadium to call a game versus calling it off the tube or off the monitor. Uh, and, and he said that there's no way possible that somebody calling the game off the tube or off the monitor could have uh, given a, a commentary or a call like Peter Drury did. Because Peter Drury really was able to I mean, t describe what was happening, but then describe what was happening off camera. He was talking about the coach didn't know what to do. He's running all over the place. The players are celebrating. The, the, the sheer atmosphere in that stadium, just the electric noise. And to be able to be in the stadium and to actually explain what, what's happening and put those in words for the, for the people at home around the world, except the United States, to actually experience and, and enjoy that, that's, 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 that's beauty. That, that, that's fantastic. And that's something that uh, he said that you can't get when you're calling the game off the monitor or off the tube. So that's a clear-cut example of really the importance of having commentators at stadiums. And I think that's one of the reasons why the NBC's coverage of the Premier League has been so good is you, you've, you've got those guys in the stadiums 
as opposed to, say, John Strong calling it from a, a, a studio or an office in Los Angeles and he's trying to capture the emotion, but you can't quite get that same emotion. Speaking of Peter Drury, uh, there have been a number of fans who've talked to me since uh, the Olymp- Winter Olympics this, uh, this past February who said, you know, they, they obviously you get we get Peter Drury and the international feed a lot for Premier League games and occasionally for, for Champions League and Bundesliga and some other things. But um, that, oh, wow, he, it was great having him as part of the NBC broadcast, pregame, postgame, really kind of uh, they like his cadence. They like the way he calls a match and, and would like to see him more. Uh, doing the, the the dedicated U.S. coverage, so uh, he's definitely developed a following in this country. And, and this goal call, even though it wasn't shown in the U.S., I think it went viral uh, enough that enough American fans of, of, of football saw it, and uh, he, his stock is rising in this country. So next up is Jose, and he posted this on WorldSoccerTalk.com. He says, Chris, all compliments on this podcast and generally on the way you're running the, this website. I really don't know of, a, of any other place, internet, TV, or radio, where we can find this kind of information about media pres- uh, presentation of the soccer in the United States. Also, after reading some comments on your articles, I have pretty much uh, a clear picture of the subscription versus free TV issue. In, in the same way that pharmaceutical companies are the biggest beneficiaries of the opioid crisis, ESPN, Turner Sports, NBC, and, and Who's Next are perfectly explo- exploiting our soccer addiction. They know that we don't have uh, any problems to wake up, up at 5 o'clock in the morning Pacific time to watch the Sheffield Derby, uh, that we are in jeopardy to be caught by the boss while watching Bosnia versus Lithuania in the European qualifiers, or that we are understanding and enjoy specific British humor of ESPN FC presenters. And lots of us are happy to pay for that addiction. My problem is, where will this stop? And how many of us will be happy with the final solution of this equation? And he said, okay, uh, take the Champions League, plus the Premier League, plus La Liga, plus Serie A, plus Ligue 1, plus the, uh, the Bundesliga, uh, which is six leagues and times $50, looking at the NBC Sports Gold and looking at ESPN Plus, that adds up to $300. And he's right, Kartik. I mean, I, I, they, know what, they know that uh, soccer fans generally are, uh, have higher household incomes than other sports in the United States. Uh, they know that we are addicted, we're hardcore fans, and that uh, we'll grumble about it. Um, but many of us will pay. Yeah, and, and we're seeing more and more OTT services, and I don't know where the uh, the line is going to be drawn. I think fans will draw a line at some point, but the broadcasters will push until they, they discover what that line is. Next up is uh, Paul Scanlon from, uh, via Twitter, and he says, I enjoy the podcast. You should have watched Pompey at Portsmouth against Wigan last Monday. Fantastic match and atmosphere. Uh, I didn't see the game, but I did see on Twitter that somebody had posted, I think it was like five miles from Wigan Stadium, uh, I think in the fields, and somebody had uh, just recorded that you could hear the Pompey fans singing from about five miles away from the stadium. Wow. <laughs> that was cool, because you're out in the middle of kind of, uh, I don't know, wherever it was, some fields, a farm, something, and you could hear the, the, the Pompey fans singing five miles away. And which, which would be in Bolton, by the way, from Wigan. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about five miles away, five to seven miles away. That's true. Uh, Andrew in Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, said uh, this through uh, email. He says, with YouTube TV partnering with LAFC and Hulu just announcing a deal with the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs, when do you think 
Netflix will join the fray into sports soccer streaming. Could we ever possibly see the Gold Cup, uh, Champions League or FA Cup distributed this way? Further, will it will it ever be possible for streaming companies to have sole TV rights like NBC does for the Premier League? What do you think, Kartik? Yeah, that's, that's a real interesting uh, dilemma. And I also mentioned this week, uh, there is a local affiliate in uh, – Salt Lake area in Utah that is going to call broadcast Real Salt Lake games as the sole streaming partner and geofence uh, it to, to the area, but it's you you have to pay for the service. It's OTT. So there's a lot of this happening, and I think Netflix Netflix has not done the kind of live programming. Uh, obviously, they've dipped their toe in soccer now with uh, the Juventus first team uh, documentary, but. I don't know, live streaming, you, you think because they've always been a, a kind of a cutting edge company that they're going to go into that at some point. Um, it was it was um, surprising when YouTube went into it, right, mm-hmm. uh, and launched YouTube TV. I, I think it's a matter of time with Netflix, but I'm not sure it's imminent of, that they do that. And uh, Hulu, Hulu is acquiring uh, these properties as we speak. You mentioned the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, they're also um, – uh, doing some uh, uh, stuff with the NBA for the NBA playoffs. And then you also see now um, Facebook and Twitter getting their, their weekly major league baseball games also this season during the, uh, during the season, uh, daytime, uh, daytime broadcast. So uh, I think Netflix will enter the fray eventually. In regards to Andrew's question about uh, do you think it's possible for streaming companies to have sole TV rights like NBC does for the Premier League? I think so too. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. There's definitely streaming companies out there. It's happened um, sporadically in the past, um, in the last couple of years where you've had the the Dutch League uh, only being available through streaming companies. I mean, there's a smaller leagues, but uh, it's just a matter of time. All right, last but not least, uh, Bill Payne sent in this through email. He says, hello, guys. Hope all is well. In last, week, last week's episode, you discussed Copa America 2019 and Conor potential debate over, about, over whether to invite Mexico because they didn't seem to be taking it seriously as they sent their uh, U23 team last time. I was listening to the Total Shock Soccer Show podcast last week in which they also discussed the issue along with whether the U.S. should accept an invitation if offered. They mentioned that because there is a uh, Gold Cup in 2019, the U.S. and Mexico, along with other CONCACAF nations, are required by FIFA to send their A-teams to their home tournament, which almost which almost necessitates that they send a B-team to Copa America. If U.S. or Mexico could send their A-team to both tournaments, that would be ideal, but the clubs of the players would like like strongly, most strongly uh, reject this plan. Anyway, just wanted to mention this as the Mexican Federation's hands may be tied as far as uh, being able to send a strong team to Copa America. Thanks and keep up the good work. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, there was one time in 2007, Mexico tried to balance and, and take both tournaments seriously. And they were on the heels of one another where uh, they named similar rosters, but then rotated the squad pretty heavily to where uh, the guys, their, their top players played the, the knockout stages of the Gold Cup and the knockout stages of the Copa America. And they went through the group stages with younger players uh, that worked that summer, but they didn't win either tournament. Right. They got to the semis of Copa and to the finals of the Gold Cup and then starting in 2011, when there was overlap between the tournaments, uh, the, the summers in 2011, 2015, they just went with pure B teams, Mexico. Yes, your hands are tied by FIFA on that, but they, in 2007, were creative and tried to get around it, uh, and they haven't tr- attempted that since. 
So if you have any questions for us, so you want us to read it out on air, uh, any feedback, you name it, uh, send us an email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. And uh, Kartik, next up is our interview with Charlie Stilatano. It's about 10 minutes long. Uh, it's definitely worth listening to because he covers uh, three different areas, one of which is why Major League Soccer teams are not in this tournament yet again. Uh, second of all is talking about the success of the International Champions Cup and how it uh, started and, and where it is today. And then third, and probably most interestingly, at least for me too, was the uh, the concept of the European Super League that's been talked about for many, many years and whether ICC uh, can or, or will uh, replace that as, as a... Uh, as, as a tournament, I mean, why have the European Super League when you have ICC? So let's go ahead and listen to that interview with uh, Charlie Stilatano. So one of the questions I have is 18 European powerhouses, some of the biggest names in the world, um, but this time no, no Major League Soccer team again. I, I know in the past you've talked about maybe that would there be well, a way. We've had them. We've had them many Galaxy, times. Yeah. Right. And uh, we've had them, and it's been terrific. The, the problem is just the schedule. Yeah. There's nothing to do with willingness. I had the same conversation with Mexican right. TV a minute ago. Yeah. We've had Club America in the past. We have the LA Galaxy. We've had the, uh, the New York Red Bulls in the tournament. Sure. The problem is they have to play three games now. Yeah. Because the only way we can make it a true tournament with the odd schedules in the world sure. is to say you're playing three games. Maybe two in Singapore, one in Europe. Three yeah. in Europe, two in America, one in Europe, whatever it might be. But we feel if we have great teams, and I would include the MLS teams in here, sure. that we would say if they all played three games, that's fine. Right. It's really hard with the MLS mm -hmm. to get them to have three games off. Right. So they have Especially, to have, they have yeah. to have seven to ten days off. Yep. And you know what happens up to now is they're in the middle of their season. Sure. So manager's going to say, you know, I can't play my full team right, right. today because yeah. i got to save them for the weekend, a big game. And suddenly, mm -hmm. you know, they lose. It looks bad. So there's nothing to do with desire. I think sure. they want to be in it. We want them in it. We'd love to do it. We've spoken to MLS about it. We said we'd love to have you. We just spoke to the Mexicans here, too, again, saying yep. we'd love, but understand that the European teams have two weeks right. of this. Exactly. And, if, yep. if, and, I, and I would never dare to say, hey, can you guys move your schedule? That's mm -hmm. not for me. Right. Yep. But we're, we're open. If they, if they somehow can work it out so a couple of their teams can be off, sure. they would 100% be in it. So what was the decision uh, not to go to Charlotte, uh, to, to, to Nashville and to go to Charlotte instead? You know, I, I, I'm trying to remember myself. The issue is a little bit tricky with uh, with um, uh, U.S. national team is playing a game there. Okay. Um, and we were trying to spread out a little bit the games in that sort of, I call it that region, that part of the world. Sure. It wasn't, again, we loved, loved Nashville. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what was amazing? The players loved Nashville. Really? That's they true. loved Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they thought it was just the coolest place, right? Because sure. it's so Americana, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and although Charlotte's an amazing, amazing city, right. these, the, the, the players loved Nashville, too. So mm -hmm. I think that, that um, 
unquestionably 100% will be there again. This year is just, again, a scheduling issue more than anything. Okay. Last question is, uh, I mean, ICC has gone from what it was in the beginning, starting off to what it is now, which is uh, huge. Um, what's it been like kind of being at the center of this experience, this journey, to go from what it started to what it has become and what it may become in the future? Yeah, look, it's, it's gratifying. It really is. Uh, I'm humbled by it. You know, I really am humbled by it when, when teams call me and say, why can't we be in the Champions Cup, you know, the International Champions Cup? And I feel kind of silly saying to them, well, I have too many teams this year. I'm filled up. Uh, and I remember back... You know, not long ago, we had to beg teams to come over here. Um, and you had to talk to the manager. Today we got to do this. Come on, you have to show up here for the, the training the day before. And it was always such a fight. Uh, and now teams want to come. And, and I think that's really a tribute to... You know, I'll probably single out a couple of managers that have have been here, have had success. Uh, I always point to this Alex Ferguson talks about he loved it here from a training environment. Mm-hmm. Right. And he felt it was the best training environment. Yeah. We had to convince him, beg him is the right word, sure. to play some of these big teams mm-hmm. because I think the general sentiment was I'm not going to play big teams in preseason. And I was right. just telling, I was just talking before that I remember going to see Manchester United against the Singapore 11. Mm-hmm. And Bartes played center forward. Right. So it was clearly <laughs> a friendly game. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of uh, almost comical. Yeah. But it was, I'm talking about the football on a field. Yeah. But it was an event for Manchester United, more of a festival for people, their fans to see and touch. Sure. And I think that was the standard for friendly matches. Mm-hmm. When we convinced Sir Alex to come here and see these beautiful facilities and have his players away from the media and stuff, mm-hmm. he loved it. Right. Uh, but then it was really, and he bought into, okay, I'll play these games, if I can say, more because you guys need it and I think it's important to do it. But I think that in 2003 and four, uh, you know, he still writes about this in one of his books that Jose Marino showed him that you have to start out the season strong. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so in the past, you could afford to play a couple friendly games. Paolo Maldini talks about all the time. We'd start with 10 games in the preseason. Mm-hmm. We'd play against the lo- two local amateur teams, then a Serie D team, then a C team. Yep. Then you play one game maybe against a decent right. A-level team. Yeah, yeah. But Jose's like, no, I want to be hard. I want to do it right away. And mm-hmm. Sir Alex said, now, not only is training important, but yeah. competition's important. Sure, absolutely. And then the final thing that really changed everyone's mind, I think, was that the next myth was that, well, you're never going to win anything if you go over there. Right. Uh, and in 2009, uh, Jose Mourinho had Inter Milan. Carlo Ancelotti had Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leonardo had Milan. I can't remember the Club America coach, but they right. played all over the world, uh, all over the country, L.A. to New York, mm-hmm. and Dallas in between, everywhere in between. And that year, Jose's Inter won the treble, right. and Carlo's Chelsea won the double. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they went back, and everyone said, well, wait a minute, these are the only teams that traveled to America this year, and right. they won everything. <laughs> so those two events, I think, sort of sure. came together to change people's minds. And, and again, it's the managers. It's the yeah. Sir Alex's, the Jose's, the Pep Guardiola's. You know, Pep last year commented it was the best preseason he had had. Right. And and so 
these are things that are for us we take a lot of pride in. Sure. Know? Just just one last follow-up question, and that is, in some ways, does the ICC replace the idea of having a European Super League? Because they've been talking about that, but why have it when you have it every summer around the world? Yeah, have I mean, it right here? people. You know, again, as much as I would, uh, as much as people may have pointed at me and Mr. Ross and stuff in the past, the reality is that's up to the European teams, up to UEFA, up to them. You know, we are, um, we are, are people here. Mr. Ross wants to build something. He wants to build the biggest and best, most prestigious tournament in the world. Now, we have a couple other official tournaments that are bigger, uh, and so we recognize that. So we want to be as big as we can be. Um, and I don't know. I think what you're saying is an interesting question. I don't really honestly have an answer. It's a sense of I think a lot of teams see the value in this and say, wow, this is great. This is enough. Look at all the uh, all the publicity we're getting. We're in Asia. We're in America. We're in Europe. This is great. Yep. And maybe some teams are saying, well, maybe we can take it further. Yep. Again, that's in their court. Right. And as much as I'd, uh, I'd be arrogant, foolish, and uh, a liar to tell you I could control that, you know? Sure. Uh, so we just sit here and we're trying to do the best we can. All right, Kartik, so where can listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at KKFLA737 and just follow the links from there. Excellent. And you can find me at World Soccer Talk. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, after a, uh, a long week of uh, lots of midweek games and um, still lots left there uh, in some leagues around the world, maybe it's re- more relegation or more, more battles for Europe, uh, what should they do this weekend? Enjoy your football. Enjoy your football.